You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me also mention uh, on First Things, uh, today you may have noticed that uh, we've got a men's event coming up. It's a, it's a great connection event for men. Uh, God graciously provides for us to uh, be able to use uh, a couple of suites at uh, the Rangers Ballpark. That's coming up on August the 4th. And uh, as of this morning, I think there are only five spots available. Some of those, now there's four, okay? And they're going fast, okay? Can I get a bit over here? No, no. <laughs> there you go. I see some ladies. I, I understand. Uh, but it's a great time. This will not cost you anything unless you choose to drive your vehicle. Uh, then it will cost you the gas getting there and back. Uh, we even provide transportation. It's a great way to connect and get uh, better acquainted with some of the guys, uh, not only just in our church fellowship, but our community as well. It's just a great time. And, so, um, and hopefully you'll see some halfway decent baseball at the same time. Um, that's, that's in question right now, and I'm a lifelong Ranger fan, okay, trust me, uh, but uh, just remember that. So if you are thinking about it, you need to jump on that real quickly. There are a limited number of spots there, and I'm down to four. So Proverbs chapter 3, we're looking at the book of Proverbs this summer, and we're focusing primarily on the speeches or the appeals from a father to a son found in the first eight chapters. These appeals introduce for us many of the themes or the clusters that appear throughout uh, what is commonly called the sayings of Proverbs. What you typically think of when you think of a proverb is that pithy little uh, one-liner sometimes. And we've talked about how sometimes God, uh, in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, uh, uses uh, contrasting thoughts there. We'll see the way of the wise leads to this, the way of the foolish on the other hand, and in contrast leads to this. Sometimes you see it presented in parallel form and, uh, and it's expanded upon. But what we're finding in these first few chapters is a kind of an introduction to uh, the main themes that are found throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs. Again, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned from experience. Now, that would tell us that those of us who have more experience, and sometimes that's uh, characterized by gray hair, um, should be the wisest people, right, on the planet, um, in fact, if you saw me last Monday when we got back from the missions trip, I hadn't shaved in about a week, and uh, would you know that my beard is mostly gray now, right? I know, shocker, right? Um, my wife doesn't care for it. Um, she says that I'm not going to get many kisses if I keep the facial hair, and so, uh, but I listened to the podcast last week, and Griff made it clear that just because you have gray hair doesn't necessarily mean you're wise, uh, and I think that's true. Some of the most foolish people I've met are people who should be the wisest people uh, on the planet. In fact, of myself even, I would say, Mike, you just don't learn, do you? Uh, you just continue to repeat the same stupid things over and over again. And, uh, and so, uh, but the wisdom uh, was for me to shave it because I enjoy kisses from my wife. And so I'm trying to be a wise guy. But uh, at any rate, uh, we have said that the biblical definition of wisdom is this. That is the ability to see life from God's perspective. Not, not just to, to see his perspective, but to actually apply the wisdom of God's word. Uh, and the way that we see it uh, most clearly in scripture is in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, hopefully uh, we have well established that in scripture wisdom is not a thing, 
Wisdom is a person. Jesus Christ is himself the embodiment of wisdom. And you remember in the first message in the series, we said that you could be faithful to Scripture, go through the book of Proverbs, and every time you see the word wisdom or the concept of wisdom, you replace it with Jesus or Jesus Christ. Uh, and that would be faithful, I believe, to the text because Jesus so perfectly, so clearly personifies and embodies wisdom. Uh, Paul wrote of this when he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, last week, Griff did a great job of covering the middle section, verses 13 through 20 of chapter 3 here. This week, we're going to look at what is the fourth appeal from father to son in verses 21 through 35. And this fourth appeal encourages the one who finds wisdom to guard it, to keep it, knowing that the Lord sustains and secures the path of the righteous. And so at the center of the appeal uh, is a series of commands uh, in verses 27 through 31, primarily prohibiting actions uh, that we'll notice here violate particularly love of neighbor and incur the Lord's displeasure. And so again, as we see many times in Scripture, this connection between loving God supremely and loving our neighbor well in light of that love for the Lord. Uh, you see that often here. Love God, love neighbor, live connected, right? Uh, that's not just a cool saying that we came up with. It's biblical. Uh, and we're going to see that very clearly in our text today. And so the Father expresses how God views uh, these two paths that we're seeing in the book of Proverbs. There's the path of wisdom, uh, the path of righteousness, and there's the path of foolishness, the path of folly. And uh, we see those two contrasted many times here. And you'll notice if you look down to verse 34, it says, Toward the scorners he is scornful. That teaching follows a theme that you see uh, uncovered throughout Scripture that unpacks the folly of, of pride, really. I'm saying my way is better. I'm, I'm going to follow this way. It, as I've studied Proverbs, I have a kind of a weird way of thinking, but I, I often picture Mr. T. Remember Mr. T and the A-team and all that? Remember Mr. T would always go, I pity the fool. Well, as you read Proverbs, I, I, that, that rings in my head. I pity the fool who does not view money wisely. I pity the fool who does not follow the path of wisdom. I, you see that kind of, of, of teaching, really, throughout the book of Proverbs. And so let's turn our attention to the last section of this third chapter, verses 21 through 35 today. And he says this, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep, guard. Whenever you see that word keep in Scripture, think guard, protect, uh, cling to it. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. 
The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Anytime we're making our way through a text like this, we always want to see the connection uh, from this particular section of Scripture and what precedes it and what surrounds it. We want to look at the context. And so verses 19 and 20 here seem to be the hinge upon which really this entire chapter turns. Uh, The these that you see there in verse number 21, I think, refers to the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge of God uh, that is mentioned up to this point, and particularly here in verses 19 and 20. So in other words, he's saying, my son, do not lose sight of God's wisdom, his understanding, knowledge. Rather, hang on to these that you might exercise uh, sound judgment and discretion as you make your way through life. And as you do so, you will be godly and lots of good will flow from this. In fact, this godliness will grace your life as a beautiful necklace graces the one wearing it. My son, wear wisdom well, is what he is saying. In New Testament language, we would say it this way, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Live what you are. Live out your graciously given identity in Christ. That was a a theme even this week in our VBS, created in Christ. And so he says here, wear wisdom. That's, That's kind of strange language for us. Okay, we don't typically think of wearing a virtue or something like that. We think of putting on clothing or putting on a coat or a jacket or something like that. But he says here that, remember, wisdom speaks ultimately of Jesus Christ. And so to hold on to, cling to sound judgment and discernment is to hold on to faith in Christ, the true wisdom and insight that comes from God alone. Cling to that. And so in the words of the Apostle Paul, again, we are to put on Christ and keep him on. And when we do, we will manifest his graciously attractive attributes. If Jesus perfectly personifies wisdom and we want to be wise, then we're going to strive in every way to to look like Jesus. That's how we walk in wisdom. He is the example. And so in our text... There are at least eight qualities that we see here that we will manifest if we cling to sound wisdom and discernment, if we wear it well. You ever uh, see those images that that often come across social media, especially you'll see uh, two side-by-side pictures of two different individuals, many times from different eras, different uh, phases of life, and they're wearing uh, a similar outfit. And the question will be, who wore it better, right? Who, who wore it better? Well, as we look at wisdom, I can tell you who wore it best because he, he personified it, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to wear wisdom well. It's all about looking like Jesus, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, forgiving like Jesus. So what are these, uh, these characteristics or manifestations of wearing wisdom well? First, I want you to notice It's bold and beautiful. It's bold and beautiful. He says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life 
for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. And so if we seek to uh, preserve by guarding divinely given wisdom, we will live a life that is attractive. It is an adornment for your neck. It will promote a life of beauty, a life increasingly like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be resourceful, able to fruitfully face the predicaments of life. We will beautifully walk in the way but it will also provide us with boldness as we walk in the way. We will walk securely and not stumble is the language here. Concepts that speak of boldness. Wisdom produces boldness. Now the problem comes in when we get these things out of balance. And especially in today's world when it seems that everybody has a firmly held opinion about everything, right? I have opinions. But what happens many times is we forget the beautiful part, and we focus only on the boldness part. And there are certainly times that it's important to be bold. I mean, bold as a lion. We use that kind of language. We see it in Scripture, right? But we're also to do it in a godly, Christ-like way, in a winsome sort of way. And so many times our, our motto is, everybody is entitled to my opinion. It's not wrong to have an opinion. I'm not suggesting that you should waver in your thinking and all those things. Certainly, you, it, your thinking needs to be grounded in Scripture. And as you form uh, your, your thinking, it should be from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. But the way in which you present that should honor and glorify the Lord. You can be right about something, but when you present it in the wrong way, you're still wrong. That's why we often say one of the best ways that you could be a better witness for Jesus Christ in this world is just quit being a jerk. And what you see today, especially in the world of social media and those kind of things, is a lot of people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ who, who may be right essentially about certain things, but you're right in the wrong way. You're right in the wrong way. Now, that doesn't mean that you allow people to walk over you. That doesn't mean that you can't have a firmly held opinion and stand firm on truth. But there's a way to do that. It's bold and beautiful. Another proverb states this. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. But that boldness is not to be confused with belligerence. It's beautiful. Confident trust like Jesus in the face of opposition, like Paul in the face of suffering. It's what Peter meant when he wrote, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Bold and beautiful. Notice secondly, safe and sound. Safe and sound. It says in verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that a clear conscience makes for a soft pillow. When we are wearing wisdom well, we don't have to lay awake at night wondering if we're going to get caught, wondering who's going to find us out. Wondering if those two people are going to connect and I'm going to be somehow exposed for my foolishness or my folly. 
Some of you are well aware of the story of Josh Hamilton, who played for a period of time for the Texas Rangers. His story is uh, incredible. I'm not sure where Josh is today or, or how he's doing. My hope and prayer is that he's following hard after the Lord, of course. But if you read his uh, autobiography, then you know there's a section there where he talks about literally standing in the outfield in a Major League Baseball game and what was consuming his thinking in that moment is, is there going to be someone in the locker room who, who finds my dope? <laughs> Can you imagine? The reason someone has to live like that and lose sleep is because they've chosen the path of foolishness, the path of folly. And so what Proverbs presents to us here, what, what God presents to us in his inspired word is this. If you are choosing to wear wisdom well, then you will sleep well. You, you don't have to stay awake, lay awake at night. You, 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 you're going to have better sleep. He's able to sleep soundly while others panicked because he walked in wisdom. David knew what it was to sleep sweetly even when he fled from his son Absalom in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 4, he wrote, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Peter slept in prison that required an angelic nudge in the ribs to wake him up in Acts chapter 12. Daniel found himself repeatedly safe as he honored God by defying a godless king, he and his three friends. It's all a matter of confidence, not in self, not in weapons and security systems, but ultimately in the Lord who laid the earth's foundations. We live in a crazy, sinful world that can sometimes seem overwhelming to us. You can feel like, man, I, the side of righteousness is losing the battle right now. But we can still, in, in the midst of this very broken, sinful world, remain in a place of safety and soundness as we wear wisdom well. Now, is that, that, that to say we're never going to have cares and concerns and things that, that can consume our thinking? No. But ultimately, where, where is your hope? What is it that you're clinging to? Safe and sound. Number three, confident and composed. Confident and composed. He says in verses 25 and 26, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Notice when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. The word translated ruin there literally speaks of a storm. It speaks of a storm. If you've ever, if you've ever driven into a neighborhood where there's been a, maybe a tornado or a storm and heavy winds and a lot of damage and all that, you're looking around and you're going, there's just devastation. There's ruin. That's, that's the picture here. So not only can we feel safe and secure in our bed, but we can be confident and composed in the world even in the midst of the storms of life. And they will come. I think this perhaps refers to our experience of living in this very sinful, broken world that is under the wrath of God. We can live confidently in the face of tribulations because Christ has overcome the world. The verse of scripture that I'm working to memorize this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Jesus faced his oppressors with great confidence in John chapter 18. And if we wear wisdom well, we can be confident when faced with trials and temptations that we are able to bear them well, to bear up under it. That's how we can be confident and composed. One of the things that that coaches and scouts are looking for when they look at a quarterback, for example, is what kind of composure does this person have in the pocket? When there are huge defensive linemen and and blazing fast linebackers and D-backs who are coming after them, do they remain composed and confident in the pocket? Are they quick to run away? That's, That's kind of the picture of what we see here. When we're wearing wisdom well, even when we're in their pocket, and the pocket appears to be collapsing sometime, and we feel like the, the, uh, the enemy's bearing down upon us. He's very active, seeking whom he may devour. Do we remain confident and composed? And is that in our own strength, our own abilities? Or is it because we're wearing godly wisdom well and choosing the path of wisdom? And then notice number four, honorable and helpful. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So from this point, the Father provides a series of do nots. This, of course, is as important in biblically effective parenting as is the do's. Do this. So though in one sense these are negatives, if they're viewed properly, they become positives as well. And we see this clearly in all of these do-nots in verses 27 through 35. And as we're going to see, each of these has to do with our relationships with our neighbors. That's where I said earlier that there's this strong connection between the wisdom of God that we seek to live out in a vertical relationship with Him, and how does that impact the way in which we live among our neighbors, our fellow man. That's why we can say clearly that if if you can't seem to get along with your fellow man and you're constantly in a place of strife and contention, that is also an indication that something is wrong in your vertical relationship with God. Because if you're harboring bitterness and you refuse to forgive your fellow man in the same way that you've been forgiven by our gracious God, there's a huge disconnect there. That's why those two phrases always go together. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. You can't effectively, biblically love your neighbor if you do not love God and love God supremely. These things are are connected. And so we begin to see this connection through really the rest of this chapter. And in this first set, the father instructs the son that the person who wears wisdom well will treat his neighbor in a way that is both honorable and helpful. And we can expand this and say that the wise person is caring and compassionate. What kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor are you? Uh, Scripture uses the word neighbor fairly often. In fact, uh, there was a question asked of Jesus. Remember that? Who is my neighbor? There was a, a, a lawyer who asked you, well, who is my neighbor? Well, anyone in need can basically be your neighbor. I think in this particular case, he's talking about those who live in proximity to us. What do your neighbors think of you? Are you a good neighbor? If you've lived very long at all, you've probably lived in a place or in a context where not all of your neighbors were the most thoughtful. When our family moved back from Ohio after I was completing my seminary work, we moved into an apartment complex in what I would consider my hometown of Louisville, Texas. And wouldn't you know it, that uh, 
We, we lived in one of those apartments that was literally right on the edge of one of the three swimming pools in our apartment complex. So the rule was, okay, the pool closes at 10 o'clock at night, right? Well, I want to be a good neighbor, so I'm not going to be that guy that at 10.01, I'm walking out there to clear out the pool, you know? But one night, it got to the point of ridiculous. And at the time, you know, we had a baby, and... Uh, and so it was like, okay, th- this is not working. And so I, I tried the subtle approach. Okay, I, I raised the blinds a couple times. About the third time I raised the blinds, this person who was making a lot of noise in the pool gives me the finger. Okay, and it wasn't the one way to Jesus finger, if you know what I'm saying, right? Well, that kind of ticked me off. Okay, and uh, I, I may not have. Um, been the most gracious in my approach, but I pretty quickly walked out my front door, walked out, and I said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I'm about to, well, I won't tell you everything. I mean, it was, I, did, I didn't say any bad words or anything like that, but I, I wasn't as much like Jesus as I should have been in that moment. I, I will say that, okay? Sometimes it's just hard to be a good neighbor. It just is. But you've got to remember, we've got to remember that the way in which we live in community with people around us, the kind of neighbor we are, reflects upon our, our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So it's important that we be a good neighbor. It's interesting that the word do there in verse number 27 can be translated owner. And so are, are you the kind of person who's gracious with your neighbors? Are you willing to extend grace when necessary? Because I guarantee you there's probably times when you need grace extended to you. And the sad truth is, if some of us are completely honest, we've lived in the same spot, same house, same community, same street, whatever, for a long time, and we don't even know the names of our neighbors around us. And I understand, it's more and more difficult these days. I mean, people have automatic garage door openers, car goes in, door comes down. I mean, it's just harder to connect. But are we being faithful to the gospel? (laughs) Are we faithfully living out the wisdom of God's word as personified in Jesus Christ. If we're not good neighbors, honorable and helpful. I think verse number 28, it carries the thought of verse number 27 further. And it says, may even be saying that the person who wears wisdom well will be caring and compassionate. We disprove our claim to faith by a lack of, of generosity as much as by dishonesty. And so if someone is in need and you have the ability to meet that need, do it. Scripture says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's be that kind of neighbor who's known as being honorable and helpful, kind and compassionate. Number five, trustworthy and trusted. It says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. So the person who wears wisdom well will not take advantage of others. They'll give of themselves that their neighbors may be safe and sound. So important that we are people of our word who are trustworthy and can be trusted. 
one of the things that we've tried to do as we meet new neighbors who move in and are, are, like some of you who live in Georgetown, you know that it seems that there's, there's constantly people moving out and new people moving in and the neighborhood's changing. And so we've made an effort, my wife's so sweet, to bake cookies. We're going to go over and meet the new neighbors across the street. And one of the things we want to clearly communicate to them is if you ever need anything, don't hesitate. We're right there. We want to be a help and a blessing to you. Uh, that's the idea. We want to be trusted neighbors. I think that's what wisdom does. Those who wear wisdom well are trustworthy. And trust. You ever wonder, like, what do people think of when they think of your name? When you come up in a conversation, the people in the back of their mind think, I would never do business with that guy. I, would, I could never trust him with my whatever. I would never trust him with my kids. I would ne- because we're not trustworthy. That's not wisdom. That's folly. We should be people who are adorned with wisdom in such a way that we are known as trustworthy and trusted. Number six, peaceful and peaceable. He says, do not contend with a man for no reason. He's done you no harm. So the person who wears wisdom well, who manifests the wisdom of Jesus, is not quarrelsome. This goes back to some of what we were talking about earlier. Are you always like looking for a fight? Do you have a contentious spirit? That's what he's getting at here. You're not looking for a fight. The reason is because like Jesus, we, we, we want to stand for truth, but we want to do it in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. So we strive as much as possible to live peaceably with those around us. It doesn't mean we have to adopt their thinking, adopt their viewpoint, share the same political views, all those things. But if you go around with a chip on your shoulder, I can guarantee you it's going to get knocked off at some point or another. It just will. I've always said this. I believe that followers of Jesus Christ should be some of the hardest people in the world to offend. And yet, in today's culture, people seem to be just be looking for another way to get offended. They just get offended. If that's the way that you see life, you're not looking through the lens of biblical wisdom. You're not. Peaceful and peaceable. Number seven, contented and a confidant. Notice he says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. One commentator says this, this proverb recognizes that there is a surface attraction to those who use power to get what they want. You ever, you ever look at the world around you and think, man, it just doesn't seem fair. It seems like this person over here who's obviously consistently choosing the way of foolishness and deceit and all those things seems to be succeeding. Like God's just not even operating the universe in a way that's fair. There have been times over the course of my ministry when I'm preparing to do a funeral and I can think to myself, I can think of a lot of other people who deserve to be in that casket more than the person who's in the casket. It was one of the main struggles I had as a 12-year-old kid when my mom died of colon cancer. I'm like, God, this isn't fair. My mom's a good mom. She, 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 we, we, we study the Bible together. She takes us to church, and yet what? sometimes it just doesn't seem fair. 
But wisdom says, don't look at those individuals who seem to be getting off scot-free as if God doesn't notice. It's not up to us to settle the score. That's God's thing. He's the one who is sovereignly ruling the universe, and I can guarantee you it's all going to be sorted out in the end. There's not going to be a point in, in, in eternity future where God's going to go, boy, I just totally missed that one, and that guy ended up here and shouldn't have. It's not like that. Contented and a confidant. Paul said to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he had little. He was content. And if we're not, many times we'll look at those around us and think, I need some of that. I need some of what they've got. And then finally, blessed and a blessing. In verses 33 through 35, it's clear here the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So in these closing verses, we come upon verse 34 that is actually quoted twice in the New Testament in both the book of James and the book of 1 Peter. The teachings are clear. If we want God's grace, favor, blessing on our lives, on our homes, then we must get wisdom. Put it on and wear it well. The father may be preparing his son here for the day when he will establish his own home. And he's saying, it will be blessed. It needs to be righteous. Not, not necessarily materially. When we think blessed, many times that's what we think of. Just blessings galore, material things. That, that's not the concept here. He needs God's blessing of a right relationship with him. What he's saying here is your home, if you choose the path of wisdom, you wear wisdom well, can be an oasis. In a very dark, sinful world. Years ago, when I had the opportunity to play some college basketball, I met a guy named Marvin Stover. Uh, Marvin Stover, at least at that time, was one of the only white guys to ever start on an inner city Cleveland basketball team. Marvin Stover is about five foot nine, but could shoot the lights out. Uh, and so he. Uh, Felt as he uh, finished high school and college and those things, he felt God calling him back to the inner city of Cleveland to do ministry. And so his uh, primary means of connecting with people in the neighborhood was to hit the basketball courts, play pickup games. And he would get a hearing, and he started, he finally established a church there in inner city Cleveland. And he was telling us a story one day. He said, once uh, I got married and started a family, we were uh, living in fairly close proximity to the neighborhood that he was you know, trying to reach naturally and everything. He says, which is not necessarily, by the world standards, a safe place. He said, but one of the things that I started noticing as particularly these young men would come into our home is that a lot of times they would just lay down on the floor in my living room and they would just go to sleep. He thought, that's, that's odd. Like, most of us don't do that. We don't just go into someone's home where we're a guest. We just lay down on the floor and go to sleep. But they would do that often. And so one day he had a conversation with some of these guys. And he was asking them about that. And they said, that's because in your home there seems to be peace. They said, where I live, it's like there's always doors slamming and people yelling at each other and all that. It's not a place of peace and contentment. It was then that Marvin realized the difference in his home was what the Lord Jesus Christ can do in a home. That's the blessing. 
that, that I think the Proverbs is talking about here. And we're blessed to be a blessing. Can you say that your home is an oasis of blessing? Because you're wearing wisdom well? I'm not suggesting this morning that, man, if you just do these things, you know, keep your, uh, uh, get your act together, you, you live in a certain way that everything's going to be peachy keen, wonderful all the time at your home. There's never going to be any, any measures of strife or contention. If you're choosing the path of wisdom consistently and you're wearing wisdom well, your home can be known as an oasis of grace and peace and blessing and honor to the Lord. If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes today. I want us to remember in these final few moments together that the gospel the gospel itself is the ultimate display of God's wisdom. Believe it. Wear it well. And when you live in the power of the gospel, you'll be bold and beautiful, safe and sound, confident and composed, honorable and helpful, trustworthy and trusted, peaceful and peaceable, content a confidant. You'll know what it is to be blessed and to be a blessing. If you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know and understand that you cannot truly experience the peace of God until you are yourself at peace with God. And the only way that you can be reconciled and at, and at peace with God and experience the peace of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. You can leave here today with a beautiful boldness and a confidence, even in this crazy, mixed-up world, not because of anything you've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. He died in your place, bearing the penalty that you and I deserve upon that cross. There may be some here today, some watching online who would say, I, I have placed my faith and trust in Christ, but I can't honestly say today that I am wearing wisdom well. Far too often, I'm focusing my attention on the things of the world. worldly success too often following after a worldly wisdom it's not consistent with the life and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ I want to wear wisdom well I want these characteristics to be things that someone could honestly say of me Father we thank you for your word today we thank you for how incredibly practical it is and how you give us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ the perfect example of what it is to wear wisdom well. If there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word they be drawn to you today. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.